Ever have a conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support or research for the recommendations your smart girlfriends give about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins, registered dietitian nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Houston. We're excited to have you joining us today for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends podcast. Dee, how are you today? I am doing awesome, Sherry. I am super excited to talk about what we're going to talk oh, about today. no. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great, and I am equally as excited. This is one of my favorite topics, and I think our listeners are going to have a lot of fun listening to us talk about this because <laughs> it's something we talk about pretty often. We do. We yeah. do. Yeah, and I think our audience is going to love it. And the topic today is being a boy mom. Boy mom. Boy mom, hashtag boy mom. (laughs) It's my favorite hashtag. (laughs) I love being a boy mom. And, you know, I think about our journey to become parents. My husband and I, you know, we, we, first of all, we didn't even know we were going to be able to have children, you know, naturally or through, you know, birth. That was something we just didn't know if we were going to be able to do. I was a little older and so was he. And I'd never been pregnant before. And so, you know, and I knew I had some chances of being, having issues and I did. Um, But when we finally got there, it was just like the most exciting thing. And when I was pregnant, I made the very unusual among my friends choice to not find out what the gender of the baby was. That knowing you, that (laughs) shocks me. Really? Yeah, because I can see you as being the type of person that, you know, you want that six months of lead time. (laughs) (laughs) You have a a false impression. No, I am I don't think it's that false. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're right. I do love to plan. Um, but I also really love surprises and I love anticipation. Oh yeah. I love the anticipation. And for me, when I was pregnant, also, I think the thing was, it didn't really matter. Like at that point we'd been through so much and we waited so long that I wanted the, and I knew that I probably wasn't going to do it again, that I wanted the, I wanted to enjoy the moments and not move too far ahead. And by not knowing the gender, I was really forced to do that. Wow. So like when you delivered him, Mm -hmm. were you like, because I I didn't know Joshua's gender (laughs) Uh either. Oh, was Um, that by choice? Um, kind of. I was young. I was yeah. so dumb. Oh my god. <laughs> um, but I was 21 when I had Joshua. Um, and I just didn't think of it as a thing. I was yeah. like, oh, I'll just find out Whatever. when I have. And I was convinced, convinced that I had. I was having a girl. Oh my gosh. And so as I'm pushing, I'm barely paying attention to the pushing part of it because I'm just like looking. Yeah. <laughs> to see. So I knew that he was a boy before. I think even the nurses. Knew. Oh wow. Wow. So. So were you like anticipating finding out the gender or were you just really in the moment? Yeah, I was totally in the moment. Well, I'll say a couple of things. One is that when I was pregnant, I never told anybody what I thought I was going to have and I never told anybody what I wanted. But mm. in my heart and in my mind, I thought I was having a boy. Did you? Yeah. And I really wanted to have a boy, but I didn't tell anybody because, you know, what if I'd had a girl? Like I didn't want to ruin it and then have this, you know, but I, first of all, I adore my husband and I think he is amazing. He's my favorite human for sure. (laughs) And he's also for sure my favorite male human. (laughs) So, um, I, I wanted more of him. Like, I think the world needs more men like my husband. He's just a kind, gentle, just, he's just the right kind of man in my mind. And so I wanted there to be more of him, but I, you know, but you can't control that, or at least we didn't want to control that. So 
it didn't, I didn't want people to know that, but I was really longing to have a boy. And so when I found out we had a boy, I was so happy. And did I, in the moment, you know, I'd had a natural delivery, like no drugs. And, um, so, you know, I wasn't thinking about a whole lot of other things. <laughs> I was just thinking about You're pretty focused. <laughs> I was like, get this baby out of me as fast as possible. But then when he was born, I was so excited and happy and, you know, holding him in that moment. I didn't actually think about it at all. And the, and the, um, the doula and the nurse who were with us said, what did you have? And I was <laughs> like, like I don't know. oh, and then I looked and was like, oh my gosh, we had a boy. And I was so excited. My husband cried, you know, but he would have cried if we had a girl. He, you know, he was just so into it too. It such an emotional moment. Um, but yeah, having a boy was something I longed for and I wanted because when I was growing up, we were all girls. Like we had, we were just like most of my cousins <coughs> and my mom was a singer, single parent, a lot of my childhood. So it was like a house full of girls all the time. And my friends were girls, you know, most of my friends were girls. And then later in my life, I had a sister. And so it was just like girls, girls, girls everywhere. And, um, I wanted a boy because I wanted something different. What about you? Uh, for us, we were a household of women and one man, my dad. So <laughs> Bless him. Bless him. Um, but, you know, he was in the military, so he traveled a lot. So yeah. I didn't have a, a lot of experience with men. Everyone yeah. else in the family was female. All of my friends were girls. All of my mom's friends were girls. My sister's friends were girls. Uh, most of my cousins are girls. Like, these were uh, my experiences. So I didn't know if I would be able to mm -hmm. raise a boy. So mm -hmm. that's why I like really longed for a girl because I was like, oh, I know, I know what to do, do there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, God in his infinite wisdom yes. gave me two boys. Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, it's funny you say that. I don't know how to do this. Like, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> that came across my mind the first couple of years of parenting. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I And I and I have told my husband on more than one occasion, I'm like, you have to teach him how to be a boy. Like, you have to teach him how to be a man because I have no idea how to do that. Like, I don't know. And like, you know, a great example of things you just don't think about is potty training. Like, I, how do you tell, a, how do you teach a boy to stand up and pee? I've never done that. <laughs> I mean, I have, but not successfully like not well I it's like you know that th that's a silly thing but it's it's also a it's a true thing like I got I don't know how to do that he needs to learn how to do that but I don't really know how to do that I mean we, you know <laughs> you he gotta it figure out. it out yeah he he's fine he figured it out stand a name yeah exactly name. exactly my my and my my friends were like just use Cheerios in the toilet I was like oh okay <laughs> yeah did that still ended up with urine everywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there are funny things about raising a boy and there are some really serious things about raising a boy. And I think, you know, one of the things that I love about our relationship, you and me, Dee, is that you've done this. Like you've, you're, you're, you're ahead of me. You know, your boys are nearly grown and grown and we're still in the thick of elementary school, you know, with our boy. <laughs> and we're raising these boys in a world that's changed and mm -hmm. is changing and I think, you know, there are some scary things about raising a boy that I think I might not have felt if I had a girl. You know, I think things are different. So I have a little sister, as you know, Dee, and many of the, our listeners know who's in her early 20s. And I always tease and say, like, she was my first child um, <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't, you know, I didn't raise her, but I got to be part of her childhood, you know, yeah. and, and participate in that. And for her, I feel like the world is just this vast opportunity, you know. And for my son, I feel the same way, but I also feel like, 
it's full of minefields for boys and there's so many scary things um, that I don't, I feel like, like for girls, it's more of an, a time of empowerment and for boys, it's a little bit more of a, a time of danger. Yeah. I, I think, I think uh, the world experiences men differently yeah. than they do boys. I mean, they do girls or women um, that with boys and men, there's this expectation from yeah. society that there may be an element of danger, mm-hmm. um, particularly for me as a mom of two black boys, black men. Um, I, I understand, I, I can see that people experience them as men in a way that there's this anticipation of something could happen. Yeah. And that's not who they are at all. So as a mother, I get really afraid for them sometimes in a way that I wouldn't be even if I had, you know, a black girl because society doesn't experience women in the same way that they do men. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of where I of course my son is is Caucasian, we're a white family, so it's it's different, but mm-hmm. it's still there's still so much out there that I think for boys and for men navigating now is different. And you know, it's not maybe it's not better or worse, it's just different. I don't know, but I think, you know, when I think about things like, you know, violence and depression and, you know, this what some people call, we talked about this earlier the week, toxic masculinity. You know, I want so much to help him avoid those things, but they also seem to be everywhere. And, and I don't know, I want to be a mom who can help him navigate that, but I'm not a man. And so I know I have some limited influence there. And thankfully I've got a great husband who's a great dad who isn't in that category. He's none of those things. So Mm -hmm. I feel like he's got a great role model and that is a plus in his column. But you know, I also think that having um, a strong female around is a good role model, especially against toxic masculinity. Um, Like I always say that that that's like my main goal in life is just to make sure that I don't raise assholes. Yeah. (laughs) But I think the biggest surprise about raising boys has been how naturally emotional Mm. they are. Mm. You know, I thought that if I had a girl, I'd be able to have this, you know, emotional connection with another woman, but Uh this, they are as emotional Uh as girls are. And I think us kind of weaning that emotion out of them is what creates this toxic masculinity. Uh So, you know, I would say I have two boys who are very in touch with their emotions. um, And I'm grateful for that. And I, I see that in Chad that he is a man who is in touch with his emotions and that's why he's not toxic (laughs) and I see him and you showing Gavin that emotions are okay yeah yeah I think yeah I think I thank you for saying that and I I hope that's true I believe that's true I think you know it's funny going into motherhood of a you know mothering a boy becoming a boy mom this you know I remember like asking for advice and talking to people and you know they I got lots of different kinds of advice you always do right one of my favorite sayings is that with a girl you know you have to keep her from making decisions that ruin her life with a boy you have to keep him alive So that's kind of how I entered into it. But I do Mm. believe it's so much more than that. You know, Mm -hmm. it is so much more than that. Unfortunately, my son's not a super daredevil of a kid. Like he doesn't do crazy things. Maybe he will someday. But at the moment, he doesn't do crazy things. That That usually shows up early. It does. Oh, good. So so maybe we'll avoid that. I'm, I'm happy about that. But but I do think that that emotional side of it 
is incredibly important to me. And I, and I'm really fearful of the day when he stops talking to us about his feelings. And I know that there'll be some of that through adolescence. That's totally normal and him sort of developing boundaries and all of that. Um, that'll be normal. And, and I'm looking for ways to get through that. And so I'm starting early. Like I'm trying to educate myself to be a better <laughs> parent to, cause I've never done this before. And, you know, I only get one shot cause I've just have one kid. Like, how are we going to do this and not totally screw it up? Um, so I'm listening to this great book. First of all, I love audiobooks, and I'll talk about that another time, but, um, we, I love the fact that I've tuned into audiobooks. Thanks, D, for turning me on to those so Love much. <laughs> but I'm listening to this book called Masterminds and Wingmen by Rosalind Wiseman. And I am loving this book. It is teaching me so much, I feel like, about this world of what she calls boy world, mm. this place where boys grow up that's different than um, I grew up. You know, I'm a girl, I'm a woman, you know, and I also grew up at a different time and, you know, the world was different then. And my experiences are so different than what my son's experiences are and will be, but I want to understand so that I can help him navigate that. So the book is fantastic and um, I really love what she's trying to help people understand about the social dynamics of boy world and how boys interact both on a group scale and then individually. And I'm learning things that I, I didn't really know. And one of the things interestingly that she talks about is what you've said here. And that is that, you know, boys and men are more emotional than we give them credit for. And they're not always given permission to talk about that emotion. It's the permission mm -hmm. that is problematic. Yeah. yeah. There's a great section early in the book where she says, um, does Batman ever smile? And I think I mentioned this to you. Does, does Batman ever smile? And if you think about Batman in the cartoon and in the movies and in the action figures, does Batman ever smile? And the answer is no. He never smiles. He never smiles. I'm so, trying to think if Bruce Wayne smiles. Not much, right? So so does does he uh. smile when he experiences love? Does he smile when he experiences joy? Does he smile when he encounters his friends or his family? Or does he have those emotions? And does he have a range of emotions? And the answer is really kind of no. That is you no. Know? Yeah. And so, if, so if, we're, if little boys learn that, that to be superheroes, they need to be like Batman – you know, what are they learning about experiencing a range of emotions and not, not just experiencing it, but expressing it because they're going to experience those emotions. They're right. going to have them, but how do they express them? And um, gosh, it's just been like mind blowing to me. I never thought about that at all. Like, you know, we let Gavin, ex you know, kind of explore superheroes and play with superheroes. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but we need to give them context too. And I think that's really to me what this book is. And Hopefully what I can do as a mom, and it's what I do as a dietitian for people too, is, is just give context, you know, to food and experiences and emotion. So how do you give context for a superhero? <laughs> well, I mean, I think teaching him that superheroes are cool and fun, but they're not real. Mm. You know, it's not real life. And I mean, maybe asking questions like, what do you think he's like in his non-superhero life? You know, mm. how do you think he feels if he... You know, if, if and when he has, you know, watches a funny movie, do you think he laughs? You know, because they just never show those moments in the movies or cartoons or, you know, there's never that moment shown. But maybe we can talk about it and think about it and imagine it because it's all fantasy anyway. And it's what's funny uh, or why I'm sitting here just kind of staring into the middle distance is because, mm -hmm. you know, my experience um, growing up 
the parents of my parents' generation would have said, you know, you want to be like Batman. Batman mm-hmm. doesn't cry. Right. You know, and right. what kind of um, kind of emotional constipation that may have created, <laughs> seriously, yeah. in the men of my generation that they couldn't just cry. They yeah. couldn't just say, I'm angry because, you know, my peanut butter and jelly sandwich fell on the ground yeah. and, you know, I have to make another one. They couldn't yeah. just cry about it yeah. um, without being called a crybaby. Yeah. They couldn't just feel whatever they felt about the situation without feeling wrong for it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see kind of the different ways of approaching something as simple as a superhero. Yeah. Yeah. I'm listening to another book now. So the, I've been listening to these two books at the same time. So my mind is completely blown all the time. <laughs> but the, the, second, <laughs> the second one that I'm listening to is called Nurture Shock. Mm. And um, it's a great book also that I'm, I'm just loving learning about the latest research on psychological development. And, and part of that book's for me, the magic of that book so far has been about context, too, and about the importance of talking about these subjects, you know, all of these sensitive subjects like emotional sort of um, intelligence and, um, you know, handling your emotions in an, in an open way and not feeling like you can't feel those feelings. And um, one of the things they talk about in Nurture Shock is about how, like, we teach children not to tattletale, you know, not to not to tell on somebody or tell something, you know, don't keep coming to me with your problems. The goal is to help them learn to go figure it out themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Just go figure it out. But what the research shows is that by the time a child comes to tell you that there's a problem, they've already tried to work it out. They've already done that most of the time. Yeah. Ah. And some of the research that they cite in the book, they talk about how, you know, these children have tried or they've already navigated issues with this other child many times, sometimes more than a dozen times before they ever come for help. So they're coming to you for help because they haven't been able to successfully do it. But you're telling them, don't bring me your problems. I was like, oh, man, stabbing the heart because I've definitely said that to Gavin already. Oh, know? I have too. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and so, you know, again, not, not, it's not about guilt. It's about learning a different way. And so I think, you know, what I'm learning and what I've, what I took from that was, okay, if he comes to me with a problem, then I need to be a little more proactive and get the context from him for what exactly the problem is and how I can help him. Not that I'm going to jump in to solve every problem for him, but I'm going to make sure in advance he really has tried to fix that problem before mm-hmm. we before I jump in and try to be the person to to sort of negotiate that issue for him. So yeah, great books, great two great books. I'll put the links in the show notes for the for these two things. But I think you know one of the other things that I love about these books and also um, other books that I've read. So I have a, there are a couple of other books that I'll put the um, links to in the show notes too that I've read previously. But one of the topics um, that I love to explore and learn about is this idea of belonging. Because belonging is, I believe, one of the most important things, needs that we have as individuals, right? We want to belong somewhere. And I think... Yeah, I, as a woman of a certain age, am just beginning to truly understand what that means. And especially for me as an introvert, um, I would have said 10 years ago, I don't need to belong anywhere. (laughs) I belong to me. I'm good. Right. Um, But... Um, in therapy, <laughs> that that is a critical piece of my own sense of well-being. Yeah. I can feel well by myself, but I also, as a human being, need to belong yeah. somewhere. Yeah. 
I believe that God made us for community. You for know, sure. he made us, he, if he, if he didn't think we needed each other, he would just made one. Yeah. One at a time. Y'all good. Yeah. <laughs> or put us so far from each other, we wouldn't find each other. And then, but that's not how it is. Yeah, right. I mean, no. human beings congregate together because we want to be together because our lives are better together. And in the mastermind for book, us to be on our own, it's not, it's not, it's not what we're intended for. And I think, you know, whatever that means for you and it can, it's lots of different things. You know, I think we belong to different groups, right? Mm -hmm. Different, different communities or whatever it is. We belong to different, and each of us belongs to multiple groups. Mm -hmm. And that's some of what this um, Masterminds book talks about too, is the power of the group and how important it is for boys to belong to groups. And so I think, you know, as a mom, my goal, the first belonging I want for him to feel is belonging in our family. Mm -hmm. You know, that he knows he belongs, and I think he does, but he knows he belongs in our family. He has a place here. This is the place where he can always come back to. He can always feel rooted here. He can always feel secure here. And I also know that he's going to want to belong to other groups, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I want to help him navigate that. And I love what the author of the Masterminds book says. She says, the power of the group. We all want to feel a sense of belonging. This isn't a character flaw. It's a it's fundamental to the human experience. Our finest achievements are possible when people come together to work for a common cause. School spirit, the rightful pride we feel in our community, our heritage, our religion, and our families all come from the value we place on belonging to a group. And I love that. I mean, I think... So how does that translate for boys like how does it translate differently for boys than it would for a girl does she talk about that she does what what she talks about is the differences in the group dynamics mm. so and the lengths to which a boy is willing to go to belong to a group in the book she talks about the different um parts that each boy plays in a group dynamic and how you know, a boy might be, let's say, I can't remember all the different parts that the boys play. And not every boy is going to play every part. You know, it's not going to play just one part. They might play multiple parts. Mm -hmm. Or they might play parts Depending of on the parts. group, how old they are. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And they may switch parts, but, or switch, yeah, switch parts. But let's see, I can remember a few of them off the top of my head. One is the mastermind, which is the one the, the book's named for. And that's kind of self-obvious, right? This is the one who runs the group, mm -hmm. right? This is the kid who makes the decisions, who decides when and where they're going to go. He decides who's in the group. Um, he's sort of the, the brains of the group. Then there's the brawn. So it's sort of the the, the bouncer, the kid who's the strongest, <laughs> right? His He gets to be part of the group because he can beat up everybody else, you know, but he doesn't get to make the decisions. You know, he's yeah. not necessarily that kid. Then there's the entertainer, you know, the one who makes everybody laugh. He's, you know, self-effacing, but also makes fun of other people in and out of the group. Um, there are... Oh, that's my Joshua. <laughs> yeah, I think that's my son right now. I don't know if he'll always be that, but that's, he loves to make people laugh. And in fact, it's so funny because we were doing, we were doing something this week and he just out of the blue started telling me about a little girl in his class and how she never laughs at his jokes. Like everyone else laughs, laughs and she never laughs. And it really bothers him. He's six. He's like, he does not like the fact that she never laughs at his jokes. I'm like, well, maybe she's just a very serious child. Maybe she's laughing on the inside. It's okay. You know, not everybody's going to find you funny. How wonderful. 
that he one noticed and was able to express it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. most some other little boys may not feel that they could say, "Yeah, it bothers me that she doesn't laugh." <laughs> oh, he's very <laughs> sensitive about how other people see him and whether or not they want to be his friend. He's yeah. he's very even now, like he's already very very sensitive to that. And so this book, I think, is helping me understand some of those dynamics in the groups that I think I would not have ever even thought about or known about. I just kind of think, I think I just took for granted that every kid, everybody's an equal part in the group, but that's not necessarily true. You know? You did? I did. I kind of did. Okay. No, I I guess maybe I hadn't really thought too hard about it, but I just kind of assumed like. So you thought it was that much different than girl groups because you know, girl groups, it's kind of, maybe we don't have the brawn, Mm -hmm. but there's definitely a dynamic where people are playing very different roles. Yes. I guess, you know, if I really had thought too hard, you know, really hard about what it was like when I was in middle school, for example, I probably would have, (laughs) that's like the time, right? I would have probably come up with that idea. Um, But I, yeah, I did think it was different for boys because boys seem so laid back in their group dynamics. And and it seems like boys don't get angry in the, like with girls, I don't know, in my experience, maybe your experience was different, but in my, in my groups, you know, when I was, if you didn't like a girl, like you never liked her. You were not friends. You're like, And not only that, you didn't want any of your friends to like her. Yes. And it was like, you know, if I hate you, I hate you forever. I'm not going to, we're not going to be friends. No, that wasn't always true. And there were definitely times when that definitely changed. 99% of the time. Yeah. Most of the time it was like, <laughs> you're dead to me. Like, uh, we're, <laughs> you hurt my feelings. You're still my boyfriend. Back whatever. in first grade. <laughs> exactly. You did, you did this way. And we'll forever. be in college and still look <laughs> yeah. across the campus yeah. and be like, I can't yeah. stand her. I'm 46 <laughs> and I see her on Facebook and I'm like, I hate you still. No, I'm just kidding I don't feel that way but 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 I think that that's sort of how I imagined but with boys it seems like you know boys will like they hate each other they have a big fight and then the next week they're like hanging out together and so I kind of thought well boys just forgive and forget they move on really quickly they don't stay that way they don't I just that's just kind of how I imagined things Mm. were they seem to be more laid back more communal than girls girls to me seemed like more cliques it seemed like there were more groups of girls who only hung out with each other where boys it seemed a little bit different like there were more of them and they were yeah Mm -hmm. but the book goes on to sort of point out that that's not really what's happening it's not really that straightforward with boys interesting and um yeah it's just it it, I I'm still reading the book so I'm not finished with it um but I I feel like that's what I'm learning so far is that boy groups are more complex than I thought they were and boys are more complex than I think I gave boys credit for being so shame on me that I didn't think that much I didn't think that deeply about what they might be thinking and feeling I don't I don't know that it's just you though you know we get these messages in society that says boys are simple men are simple you know you just you feed them you burp them you know um, you make sure they have a roof over their head and they're going to figure it out and there's not work for you to do. And again, like I, I was very surprised by the fact that that's, that just has not been the case. Um, that I have to engage with my boys much more than I thought that I would you know, but in a way that I would have expected to have done with a daughter. Uh But why wouldn't I? Yeah, of course. You know, it's a kid. (laughs) Right. But yeah, it was just surprising to me. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that I, I feel like is always something I'm learning is that we are all 
more alike than we're different, mm, you know, whether sure. we're men or women or, you know, black or white or wherever for we're sure. from in the world, we have more similarities than we have differences. So men are as complex as women are. Boys are as complex as girls are. But we are also different. And that's okay. I mean, I think God did that on purpose. You know, if he he's a creative, you know, creator. And so he made us creatively with lots of differences. And those differences are beautiful. And that's one of the things that I feel like I'm learning more and more all the time about being the mom of a boy is boys are more complex than I thought they would be. And that's a beautiful thing. It's challenging because it means I have to think harder than I had <laughs> hoped. <laughs> I kind of thought being a boy mom would be easier, but I don't think it's easier. And I think a lot of people, they, they find out I have a son and they're like, oh, you're lucky you don't have a daughter. But, but I don't think that's true. I think it's, I think boys are more complex than we give them credit for. And they can be just as emotional, just as insightful, just as intelligent, just as intuitive as women, and they express it differently. And mm-hmm. there, there's nothing wrong with that difference. But we have to, I, we have to know it's different. You know, I think. Yeah, I mean, they they're definitely less mouthy. Yeah, like from dealing. You know, I taught teenage girls to dance mm. at church, and I promise you. <laughs> God knew what he was doing when he gave me boys because girls will bring out your gangster. But um, the it's not that, that those same emotions aren't present in boys. They just tend to be less mouthy about it. And you have to pull it out of them. Right. Because it's there. Right. You know? Whereas right. a girl, she's just going to tell you. Right. And I think, you know, that that leads me to my thinking about communication and respect and the differences. So after Chad and I got married, um, our my father-in-law gave us a book called Love and Respect. And it's about, um, it's this idea that women seek love and men seek respect. And this is, you know, very generalized information. But I think in large, in my experience, it has been the case that, you know, women are more concerned with being loved. Like we want to be loved and cherished and valued. And men are more concerned with being respected. It doesn't mean they don't want love. It just means that it's more important to them that they feel respected. You know, whether or not you agree with that isn't the point. It's the, you know, the research seems to support that according to this author. And the book was very helpful for me in thinking about how to communicate with my husband. And it has been very effective for us, you know, recognizing that if I'm talking to him in a way that makes him feel disrespected, the communication is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> and especially conversation over. Exactly. He checks out right away. And, um, and certainly if that should happen in public, like forget about it. But I think the same thing may apply to our sons, too, you know, and at least for me, I'm trying to understand this about my son to determine whether or not that's true. And it seems like it is like he hates to be corrected in front of people. He does not like to be. And nobody likes that, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think some people maybe take it differently and may feel even more strongly about that experience. And so I think thinking about with my communications with him, even at six, how can I show him respect, be respectful to him, and also show him respect by respecting the people around us and also demand respect from him? Like Mm -hmm. that respect piece has been a really important part of our communication education for him. What do you think? I I would agree. So I've read uh, Love and Respect as well. Mm. Um, and that's pretty much what I got out of it also was understanding the ways that boys and men communicate and the way that they interpret disrespect mm-hmm. um, has been really helpful for me in both my 
relationship with my soon-to-be ex-husband and <laughs> with my relationship with my boys. And kind of um, tying it back to that piece of not recognizing how emotional boys are and how they interpret disrespect and internalize it was huge. Yes. Yeah. I think that internalizing piece is really important. I think, you know, what, what I was thinking as you were sharing that is that, you know, I think for, for me as a woman, I, my self-respect isn't necessarily dependent on how you treat me. Like I respect myself. I'm not going to let you treat me a certain way. And I'm going to demand that I'm treated respectfully. But if you don't treat me with respect, I still respect myself. But I think at least in what I've seen and maybe what I've read too is, you know, some of their self-respect comes from that external validation, you treating me with respect. If you don't treat me with respect, I'm, I have a harder time with self-respect. And I think that's, that's why maybe, um, you know, that community, learning to communicate in a way that expresses that respect is so important with boys I'm still learning I mean I might be completely off but I feel like I'm on the wrong on the right track (laughs) the thing that I am like curious about I don't know any studies this is true (laughs) this is just my own feeling about it yeah right let me say real quick like we're not experts (laughs) in this like we're just two women raising boys trying to figure it out and sharing our experiences with you (laughs) But, you know, I often wondered, and I'm sure you heard the same sentiment growing up, you know, you you can do anything. You Mm. can do absolutely anything. Don't let anybody tell you that as a girl, you're not capable, you're not smart enough, you're not da-da-da-da-da, where I don't know that the boys of our generation or the boys that have come since hear the same messages from society because we kind of assume that, oh, they're male, they're going to be fine, you know, but it's, it, I really feel that it's important for us to say those same things to our boys that yes, you can do anything, you can be anything. Um, and I think that feels, at least for me, I know that that kind of built my own sense of self-esteem where I don't have to when somebody disagrees with me or I feel that they've disrespected me, it doesn't matter because I can do anything, (laughs) you know? Um, But I wonder if, if that's part of it for boys. I don't know. I don't have any studies, but I've always been really curious about it and really intentional about expressing to my boys, you can do anything, you know, you can be anything. Um, I think that's, I think that's really important too. And I I think that that is some of what I'm uh, hearing in these two books is about, um, the the need to explicitly talk about some of these issues like a lot of people I think that you know you know this old sentiment uh, more is caught than is taught so I think a lot of times we think that if we're just showing children a good example if we're just living our lives in a healthy way and we're talking to people and we're doing all this positive stuff around them we think that they'll just get it you know but the reality is we have to have these explicit conversations about all of these complex topics you know I think a good example maybe is sex education right so you don't think to yourself anymore like there was a time when this is the way that it was handled but I don't think at this point anybody thinks to themselves like well I'm not going to talk to him about it he's just going to figure it out like there's going to (laughs) be you know, he'll figure it out. Like that, there was a time when that was probably the approach about sex education. I can education. think of one friend I have right now that has a boy <laughs> that absolutely thinks oh that way. Oh my gosh. Well, I think the majority of people would probably True. say, 
I need to have a conversation with my child at a certain age. And, you know, there may be different opinions about what that age is, but we Mm -hmm. all think to ourselves, at some point, I need to have this conversation about sex with my child. I'm not going to just wait and let the world teach him. I'm going to teach him. And I would say that the same thing is true about other important topics too, right? So about violence and about, you know, about um, race and about, you know, all of these really important topics that we have to talk about. Um, we, we need to talk about it. We don't need to just assume that kids learn respect or that kids learn honesty. We need to teach them and talk to them about it. And that's what I'm hearing in these books is the need mm. to have those specific conversations and not just let them figure it out on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they, they won't. They'll no. tell themselves stories. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think one of the other things that as a mom of a boy, I'm constantly thinking about is media and the influence that media has on my son and um, media as in movies and television shows and also computer games. Right. I'm really conscious about how that has, I think, to myself, shaped the behavior of so many boys, because so I think about like violent video games is the Mm -hmm. one I'm thinking about, right? So violent video games to me are something that I find really scary because I think to myself, like, is it going to increase aggression in my boy? Is it going to turn him from this sweet, gentle, fun little boy into this, into like an angry, violent (laughs) teenage boy? I know that seems like a leap and it is, but it's, but at the same, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's it's something that you have to, you have to consider. Like I will say that, you know, video games at first were like completely a no-go in our house. Um, Probably until my oldest son was about 12, Mm -hmm. we didn't even have like a PS whatever. Um, But I found that he was basically going to friend's house and playing. So I was like, okay, we'll go ahead and we'll get a machine. And then that way I'll have a bit more control over what he's playing. Mm -hmm. Again, it's the same thing. It was like, okay, we're, you know, everything has to be rated E for everyone. And, you know, we're going to be really intentional about not playing any games where people are getting shot or, you know, stealing cars and that kind of thing. But again, he was still getting exposed to it at other people's houses. So it was like, let's just start having conversations about what is and isn't appropriate, Yeah, you know? Um, and basically I let them play whatever they, they want to play and they play some pretty violent video games, but mm-hmm. they're not violent men. Yeah. Um, yeah. again, I don't have any studies. This is just my two kids. You know? <laughs> well, I did look, I did look to see what the research says Yeah. and it's, and it's, uh, I would say it's inconclusive. There's some research that shows an increase in aggression and there's some research that shows no increase in aggression. And I, I would suspect that it probably depends a lot on the child's other, the other factors in the child's life. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, how are they feeling outside of the video game? You know, what's their home life like? What's their educational experience like? You know, what's their school environment like? What's their neighborhood like you know what I mean like what are these external things doing also you know are they having other issues as well um I also found that um and this is true for both of them that the video game became it's their way of belonging as well oh yeah you know they're pretty 
complex relationships that are built (laughs) on these games. I would think, okay, I hear Everett, you know, talking through his headset to to somebody while he's playing the game. Well, he's also having conversations with people outside of playing the game. They're just talking to each other. Hmm. He met a kid in Minnesota and (laughs) they have like pretty deep conversations over the PS4 mic. Wow. Um, so I don't I don't know that I've seen I've seen more benefit of it, at least for him, mm-hmm. um, than than drawbacks. Yeah. I think, you know, my my so even if it doesn't increase aggression, the other concern I have is does it normalize those things? You know, even mm. if it doesn't increase his propensity toward those things, does it normalize those things in a way that it shouldn't be? I, I really feel like I feel like as a society, we're desensitized to a lot of things in general, you know, violence being one of those things. Um, and I, I so my concern, even if it doesn't increase aggression, does it normalize something that shouldn't be normalized? Does it take away his ability to be sensitive to the fact that violence happens in real life, not just on video games, it happens in real life. And I always want myself to be sensitive to that. So I also want him to be sensitive to that. How do I navigate that? And I don't have any answers. I don't, I don't. <laughs> not any. I don't have any. I mean, I think we'll figure it out as we get there you know yeah. fortunately we've got some time so we'll figure it out as we get there but I it is one of the things that I think about as a you know as a boy mom and that doesn't mean that you know first of all I also want to say like girls play video games too <laughs> like I'm not I don't think that boys are the only ones who are playing these violent video games definitely there are girls playing them too and you know girls are interested it's probably in you know 50 boys to every one girl that plays yeah. because I will tell you <laughs> the dynamics of the group change when there's a girl player uh-huh. in the room. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. How do you think they change? Oh, the way. <laughs> so, you know, my son uh, does TikTok and okay. he has a TikTok about this. And what he says is that, you know, when there's no girls in the room, the conversation is supportive. It's since no, it's not completely supportive and sensitive, but yeah. it it's a much more, it's more like a team. It's more team focused. It's you can do it. It's fine. You do it this way. But when there's a girl in the room, they can be very aggressive toward one another because they're trying to impress oh, the girl. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, completely changes the dynamic. Oh, dynamic. Man. So there you go. There's another complexity <laughs> of raising a boy. It's like the girls. Dang it. Oh yes. boy. We're not going to talk about that today because Mama's not ready to think about <laughs> it. I'll get there when I get there. But you know, I'll just I'll tell you a quick story though about that. This is, I think it's so cute, and I think I might have mentioned this to you, but I'm not sure. So we had Valentine's Day recently, right? So it was Valentine's Day. My son was getting ready for Valentine's Day, and he's preparing all of his Valentines for all of the little kids in his classroom. And when he gets to this one particular little girl, he goes, and I'm going to draw a heart for her because she's my favorite. And I was like, <laughs> oh, Lord, okay. All right, then. And well, he why, is she, why is she your favorite? Oh, it's so sweet. Oh, he told me he, he wants to marry her because she's kind. Isn't that, that. doesn't that melt your heart? Mm-hmm. Uh, see why I want to protect him from like the big bad world? Because <laughs> he's so sweet and gentle, but he's not always going to be there. Yeah. But that's okay. That's all right. Yeah, it's fine. So one of the other things I think is um, is really, I think, important to remember about boys, but not just boys, but I think all kids, is that they have the best BS meter in the whole world. Don't you think? Like kids know when you're being disingenuous. And they will tell you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> they have no filter. I was sitting here thinking, yep, 
for sure. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of a time where either of my boys uh, recognized that someone was not a great person and didn't basically just either say it mm-hmm. or act in a way where it was very clear mm-hmm. that they didn't trust them or like them. Yeah. Yeah. And they know hypocrisy when they see it mm-hmm. and they call it out. Mm-hmm. And if they don't call it out, I think that they lose respect entirely for the adult in their life. That for they sure. See that that behavior and yeah so that's one of the greatest things about being a mom is it's taught me how to even live more authentically and honestly because you can't fake it with a kid just can't you that can't. and to apologize oh, I, I think girl. that's the thing yes. that um I have taken a lot from my kids because we were very uh, open with one another. Um, There have been several times that both of them have said to me, well, you owe me an apology because X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And there have also been times patting myself on the back where I've recognized (laughs) after the fact that, okay, that that was kind of wrong. Let me go apologize. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Parenting is not for the weak. It isn't. It's so fun, though. (laughs) It is so fun. It is so fun. I think the other thing that I'm really focused on with my son and that I think is so important for every child, and we talked a little bit about this, Dee, is about autonomy yeah, and sort of teaching him what that is and then then allowing him to have that. So autonomy being this, you know, the right – I looked it up because I was like, I want to get this – I want to explain this right, but it's the right or condition of self-government. So teaching him that he has authority over his own body and over his own life. Like, yes, he has to follow rules. Yes, he has to do what I tell him to do, especially right now. As long as he's living under my roof, he will have rules that he has to abide by. And at the same time, he also has autonomy over his body and his life. Like, And I think that's one of the things that we kind of take for granted yeah. with boys is we don't think that we have to have that conversation about autonomy over their own body because yes. they're boys. They they automatically feel that autonomy. They don't. No. And I think, um, and, and not that this is only what autonomy means, but I think we're understanding that better with the rise of the Me Too movement and how many yes. men have come out yes. and talked about being or feeling sexually assaulted. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so we, so even at this young age, you know, I started talking to my son about his body and, you know, no one is allowed to touch his body if he doesn't let them, you know, no, he's not, no one's allowed to, to, to touch certain parts of his body unless he's given them permission or, you know, and we talked about funny even because, things like hugging, yeah. you know? Oh, we talk about, my son is a hugger girl. <laughs> he wants to hug everybody like at school. He wants to hug all of his friends. And this was a big deal in preschool because not everybody wants to be hugged, right? <laughs> not all the other kids want to be hugged, but he wants to hug everybody. And so he was hugging, even if you didn't want to hug, he was going to hug you. <laughs> so, so we, he had to learn and he's still learning like there are times when hugging is okay and there are times when we shouldn't be hugging we need to be focused on our task and save the hugs for later and if somebody doesn't want to hug then we don't hug and so so I started teaching him really early like to respect somebody's no like you have to learn to respect somebody's no just like you want them to respect your no Mm -hmm. so if someone says no then no is the answer it's not let's negotiate the answer is no Mm -hmm. and so I'm hoping that if he learns this now at six when he's 16 he will know that no means no you know he's gonna know that right away and that's not gonna be an issue for him down the road absolutely yeah so that autonomy teaching boundaries we just had a conversation this morning about boundaries he's still learning it was really funny because I I don't know remember what happened but we were talking about 
boundaries. Oh, I would think we were talking about a boundary with our neighbor. So we were talking about the fence being the boundary between our neighbor. And, and so he said, what's a boundary? And I said, oh, well, you know, this is our property. That is their property. This line means there's a boundary. And I said, you know, sometimes boundaries are things we can see, like the fence. And sometimes there are things we can't see. Like we talk about, you know, between you and me, there's a boundary. And this is my boundary. This is my personal space. So you don't come in my personal space and I don't come in your personal space unless I have permission. So there's an invisible boundary mm -hmm. and he was like on the other side of the room and he goes there's a really big boundary between us right now mama <laughs> <laughs> so it's an ongoing conversation but I think it's because a black one. and white you know yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> the boundary is big yeah so I bet I think you know one of the things that the um, author of that book that I've been and when I said black and white just want to clarify oh. I didn't mean color I meant yeah, like yeah. the black and white yeah. thinking yeah, exactly. little kids have <laughs> exactly exactly the, the in the book that I'm reading the author says about um, boundaries and about sort of um, shaping children. And she says, the stakes are so high. Our boys deserve meaningful relationships, the freedom to pursue what, what interests and challenges them, a feeling of belonging and social connection to others, and a sense that they're contributing to something larger than themselves. And I just loved that kind of paragraph because to, to me, it's like, that's the goal, you know, mm -hmm. that's the goal in all of this respect and communication and autonomy and teaching that we're doing and being super intentional with our boys and not just letting them float, not just letting them. And this is true for girls, too, like not just letting them. It seems like they're doing fine, so I'm not going to engage or I'm not going to do that extra. I'm not going to worry or make those additional efforts. Like moms and dads. I think it, girls, though, are less likely to be allowed yeah. to float in the same way that we we would do so with boys because we have this expectation that they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're not maybe not as likely to communicate their challenges mm -hmm. with us. They're not as likely to be upfront about, you know, because they're Batman. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're trying to be Batman. They can't show that emotion or whatever. Insert your, you know, non-feeling mm -hmm. superhero in this, this spot. So... <laughs> I think, you know, at the end of the day, being a boy mom is amazing. It's awesome. It's different than I expected and so much more and better. Um, I, you know, we're still early in, but would you agree that that's true for you as a mom? I cannot imagine having raised girls. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, having boys was the best thing mm -hmm. God did for me. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. if I had a girl, I would have been just as happy. My life would have been different. It would have been different parenting. Um, but some things wouldn't have changed at all. Some things would have been exactly the same and I would have loved it just as much. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. I think that being a boy mom is, is what I expected and not what I expected. And it's beautiful and wonderful and I love it. And I'm still early in the journey. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of holding on to all the moments because they're great and they're, they're moving fast. For sure. So um, there are lots of resources that we've talked about that I will include in this in the show notes. So that Masterminds and Wingmen, Nature Shock or Nurture Shock. Um, there's a couple of other books that I've read along the way. Parenting the Strong-Willed Child. I don't know if you ever read that one, but it's a good one. Hard. Who's the author? I can't remember, but I'll put it in the show notes. I feel like I, you probably I have did. two it's old. very strong-willed children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me too. And that's not a boy thing. And vocal. I, I, was, a, I was a very strong-willed child, so that's yes. not a gender issue. <laughs> and I deserved it, by the way, <laughs> to have one. 
And then I think there's a book called Raising Boys that's been on my list that I haven't read yet. So I don't know if any of our listeners have read that book or have any experience. I'd love to hear your experience. And if you're a boy mom, I would love for you to share this show with a friend. And feel free to reach out to us and let us know what your experience has been. I'm going to, as part of the uh, release of this show when it posts, I'm going to put some comments in the in the um, Facebook group. And I hope you'll chime in and share with us your experience about being a boy mom, what things you love, what things have been challenging, and maybe a gift uh, you know, of your own experience or, or a resource that you found helpful that you might give that to a friend. Awesome, oh yeah, because sure. we're not done, right? No. We still have lots of mommying to do. <laughs> and I think even after your boys are grown, you're still their mom, you know? You still have to navigate that relationship and it changes as they get older, but it's still really important relationship. Absolutely. So, well, this has been fun. Thanks for... Uh, Thanks for being with yeah, us. Yeah, I love this topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your experience. I learned so much from you, Dee. Thanks for being a, a Did great... you? All oh. I really say is, girl, I don't know, but this is what happened. No, no. I think you always ask great questions. And in all of our conversations about parenting and life, I really appreciate your perspective. So thanks for sharing it. Oh, thank yeah, you. I love you. <laughs> and <laughs> girlfriends listening, we just love you. Thank you for being part of the show. Thank you for, for listening. And I think I mentioned on our previous show, we have over 10,000 listens. And it just still blows my mind that so many people listen to this show and share in this journey. So thank you for being with us. Please share the show with a friend, rate it, um, make a comment, uh, make sure you're subscribing. And um, if you have any suggestions, reach out to us by email. You can do that at southernfriedgirlfriends at gmail.com. And as we close the show, we close the show every every show the same way with the question, what are you going to do to be healthier today, Dee? Today, I'm going to go home and put a conditioning mask on my hair <laughs> and a poor tight mask on my face oh. and get under my weighted blanket and watch oh. Nollywood movies. Oh. I'm so excited. Girl, I, so tell everybody what Nollywood is because we talked about this but other people might not know. So you know that there's Hollywood yep. and that's here in America and there's Bollywood and that's uh, in India, the second largest movie industry and then the third largest is Nigeria and that's Nollywood and that? I love those movies. I feel so much better educated. I'm so going to look up a Nollywood movie. Love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I am hoping to get outside today because it is beautiful and sunny and I need to move my body because I've been sitting a lot. I had a, I had a little bit of a virus this week, so I was not moving much in the last three <laughs> days and I need to get my body moving. So that's my goal is to get out and move and enjoy some sunshine and just, just challenge my muscles and I'm really looking forward to it. Sounds awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, ladies. I hope you have a great day. Oh, and gentlemen who might be listening, we will look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Southern Fried Girlfriends podcast. Bye, y'all.